Well, I don't know about you, but uh, I did not grow up in the perfect family. I'm sure your family is perfect and you are raising perfect kids in your perfect family. I grew up in a blended family and uh, I'm sure my blended family maybe looks different than your blended family. But, you know, however you look at your family, uh, I'm sure that it has some common grounds with some of your relatives. And I'm sure if you're like me, I grew up in this blended family and then I went over to my aunts and uncles and theirs was family looked like this, but yet we were from the same family. So how could we look so different, but yet be be still a family. And then I would go to my friend's house and I would spend the night and have a sleep overnight. We'd have to kind of figure, I'd have to figure out, okay, now are these the strict parents that when they say go to bed at a certain time, you got to go to bed at a certain time. And they say, stay out of the kitchen, you stay out of the kitchen or you sneak in the kitchen and get food out of the kitchen and take it to the bedroom. Or, you know, you got to kind of figure out the house rules that when you're, when you go to your friend's house and then when you you start dating and then you go, you go to that girl's house or my, my case, I go to a girl's house and, and, and I meet, I meet her, her dad. I got to figure out if he, he's the shotgun kind of dad where he's polishing his gun the whole time I'm gone or if he's a really nice kind of dad. You know, so all kinds of families out there. Uh, which family is the right family? Which family is the family that you're from and is your family the right family? Again, growing up in a blended family, uh, I, I, I kind of had uh, an opportunity to 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 assess my family and the family that I wanted to have. And I grew up, and I'm going to date myself with some of these, but I, uh, I grew up whenever I was watching television, I would look at a particular family and, and I would want to maybe emulate certain things of their family in, or I would not want to be, be like that family or something like that. But I grew up with the Huxtables. Anybody know the Huxtables? Okay, grew up with the Huxtables, man. I love the Cosbys. I mean, how can, I know there's a little dark side to that going on right now in real life, but hey, when I grew up, I didn't know any of that was going on, okay? And, and I'll say this, that how can you have two professional families, a lawyer, and a, uh, a doctor, and uh, yet mom and dad are always available. I mean, that's the kind of perfect family, right? White collar growing up in New York City, um, just a perfect family. Mom and dad are always available, and they always have good advice, and and, and everything kind of comes together in, in this beautiful kind of way. So that's like one of the families I kind of looked at growing up. But then there's this other family that's out there. Maybe, maybe this describes your family. Maybe it describes your in-laws. I don't know. Uh, you fill in the blank. Uh, um, they're creepy and they're kooky. They're mysterious and spooky. They're all together. Ooky, the Adams family. So maybe that's your in-laws. I don't know. Maybe that's your family. I'll let you all decide that over lunch later on. Uh, but I grew up watching the Brady Bunch. Anybody grow up watching the Brady Bunch? Okay, reruns of the Brady Bunch if you did. Uh, and you see this blended, perfectly blended family. You don't know who's on top, but you know they're all going to figure it out. And they're all going to love together, and they have this perfectly manicured astroturf backyard that never needs to be mowed. And it's this perfect family. Uh, and, and I'm thinking that's I'm in a blended family, and that's not my family. And uh, I don't know if you look at other people's families, you go, okay, I wish I was like theirs, but I'm not like theirs. And so I don't know how you measure things up. Now I think that today we've got a little bit more handle on reality on some families. Uh, maybe you're from the white family uh, where Walter's your dad's name and he wears whitey tidies and uh, he likes to cook. I don't know. Um, 
that maybe that's one, that's one of the television families today that, that maybe you, you've watched or it's the modern family of the Pritchards, the Dunphys and the, uh, the Tuckers. And I don't watch that, but I, I hear that that's a, you know, a pretty popular thing out there. Which family is the right family? And I'll say this, not every family, just because they call themselves a family, is, I think, the best family to model yourself after. So again, sometimes they're kind of kooky and spooky, and you got to really kind of watch out for, for those families, and you got to figure out what kind of family are we going to be. And I, I want to propose to you today that there's a centuries proven, okay? This is not just me dreaming up my little formula for a family. There's a centuries proven sound, sensible, sustainable template for a family, that is really, it's not my design, it's the maker of the universe's design. It's his plan for the family. And it's, and, and if I didn't make it, I can't, I don't have the rights, I don't have the copyrights uh, approval to remake it how I want it to be. Now, every family can have its personality. And every family can even do it their own way. And they can take God's blueprint for the family and wad it up and throw it away and say, that's archaic, that's not us, that's not, that's not reality. And if you do that, then guess what? You get to live with the results of that. Right, wrong, or indifferent, okay? It may work out for you and it may not work out for you. A lot of them don't work out. So I want to propose a template, an architectural plan for a family that I think is a good, healthy model. That I think it's a proven over the centuries model. And it does have some guardrails. And it does have a blueprint. And you know what? When you're driving on a road, it's really helpful to stay within the guardrails. You know, just that they put those guardrails for a reason. Now, you may not have been the one who found out the reason that guardrail is there. But just because you didn't discover why it was there and decided it needed to be there doesn't mean it doesn't need to be there. So it's there for a reason. It's there because it's been proven that it's better for you. Uh, it, just because you didn't design the plan, you can have your personality. You can put your own flavor on it. But you know what? Your house and my house, though they may be totally different, built by totally different people, totally different. You may have uh, uh, siding on yours, and I may have brick on mine, and you may have this on that, whatever. At the end of the day, there's some under elements. There's some internal framework. There's some foundational things that I don't want to mess with because just time and temperature and pressure just will show you that it will not work. I like the way C.S. Lewis put it about the family. He said this about rules in the home and says, if the home is to be a means of grace, it must be a place of rules. Now think about that. If you don't have rules, you don't need grace. If it's going to have grace, you've got to have rules. The alternative to rules is not freedom, but unconstitutional and often unconscious tyranny of the most selfish member. Now, the tyranny of the most selfish member is the one that, that, that caught me completely. I mean, that, that's it. And then the tyranny of the most selfish member could be a little two-year-old who is absolutely a holy terror. But yet mom doesn't want to hurt his little ego and dad doesn't know what to do. And so therefore you just let it do what it wants to do. And little two-year-old is the, the tyranny in the home and rules the home. Or 
Let's, let's grow it up a few years and let's put facial hair on it, make it shave. And then we can say, okay, now he's just grown up and he's now all selfish and now he's the man of the house. And he's going to rule the house because it's his home and it's his castle and he worked hard for it. And then he's going to be the rule setter maker in the home. And everybody else in the home is going to revolve around him. Or it could be a her who's pretty strong will, got her plans and got her ideas and she's pretty high maintenance and she wants it this way and she's got to have it this way and there's a certain standard that she's got to live at and she has expectations and by all means, you knew that getting into the deal so you got to live up to it. You see, I'm describing what happens if we don't have a, a good blueprint. If we don't have a good model then it's going to be the tyranny of the, the one that's the most selfish in the home. And so I want to say this. God does have a plan. He didn't just set us out here in motion and just said, hey, y'all figure it out on your own. In fact, in the number one message that he shared in all of the Gospels, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's the only full-length message that we have that Jesus shared. And it says this at the end, very end of the message. He said in Matthew seven twenty four, it says, anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it, is wise. Uh, hey, sign me up. I, I, I like a dose of wisdom. Like a person who builds his house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes and the torrents and the floodwaters rise and, uh, uh, and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse. Now, he didn't say that the winds wouldn't come. It didn't say the torrents wouldn't come. It didn't say the difficulties wouldn't come. It did not say that. It does not promise you a, a, a problem-free marriage. It doesn't promise you a, 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 a time where your kids aren't going to go off course. And it doesn't promise you that. But it does promise you this, that it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. And, and you see... I don't want to know how well your marriage is doing whenever you're in your honeymoon. I want to know how well your marriage is doing when the romance has faded and life has changed and things are not working out. I want to come back. I want to say, you guys and gals, listen, we didn't create the family and we don't have any right to recreate the family. We didn't create the family. We better follow God's blueprint for the family. We're going to be a lot happier, and there's going to be, we're going to be able to build on some bedrock, and we're going to be able to go the distance, and we're going to be able to make a, a real, we're going to see a real impact happen in our life. It's going to happen whenever the gospel impacts our families. When the gospel, now what's the gospel? Well, in Colossians chapter 3, we talk about the gospel. We've been talking about the gospel for several weeks. We talk about it in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, when he talks about that if you have been raised, if then you have been raised with Christ. He's pointing back to the resurrection. He's pointing back to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, which Paul defines the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 as that's what the gospel is. So whenever I say gospel with somebody else, well, when I say gospel, I'm referring to the impact that comes from the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Okay? And whenever I have been raised with Christ, now if you were here last week, if you were here the week before, you think, Mike, you keep coming back to the same verse. This verse starts chapter 3, and it is the key verse throughout the rest of the book. In fact, he's saying this to you. If you have been impacted by the gospel, 
then this is what's going to happen. Verse 12 is going to happen in your life, which we talked about verse 12 last week. Verse 12 talked about what happens when the gospel impacts your life is then because you're holy and you're chosen, then you're going to put on certain things. You're going to put on a compassionate heart. You're going to put on kindness. You're going to put on humility. You're You're going to see people differently. You're going to respond differently. You're going to put on meekness and patience. Why? Because you've been impacted by the gospel back at verse 1. And now you as an individual, and see, now here's the thing, is the gospel doesn't just affect you, it affects those closest to you. Who's the ones closest to you? Your family. Now you may have friends, I'm closer to my friends than I am my family. Well, that may speak more to your family dynamics than it does about your friendship. But let's just keep it at the family level today. And next week, we're going to talk about how the gospel even impacts our jobs. Yes, God even cares. See, the gospel isn't just a Sunday morning how to, and a free ticket to heaven. The gospel is, is how does it affect me, verse 12, how does it affect my relationships, my family, what we're going to look at today, how does it affect my job? See, the circle just gets bigger. The ripples keeps going. The gospel impact on our life doesn't just stop at your life. It keeps on and keeps on and keeps on. But let's just talk about the family today because I want us to get this one right because if we don't get this one right, then really has the gospel affected us. So when the gospel affects us, it ripples into our family units. And one of the things that we're going to do as a church, and we've done this now for several years, the church at large has been doing this since the fifth century, and that is observing this Advent thing, okay? This Advent, this, uh, this celebration of, of Christ's coming. And maybe you picked one of these up on your way out last week. If you didn't, there's one per family and you pick it up on your way out today. Plus there's extra coloring sheets if you got littles and, and you can grab that in the back. Plus there's a, a, a Jesus storybook Bible that you can grab in the back and it's available there for just whatever it costs us. But these are free. So you can take one of these. And here's the cool thing about this. Our pastors wrote this. And I want to emphasize that because we didn't go online and pay a few dollars and get a copyright of some material that we downloaded and we put it into a book and now here you take it home because this is what somebody in some other state thought you needed to hear. Our pastors who love you, invest in you, have been listening to you for the years and said, you know what? We're going to steer our families through this Advent season. And what family doesn't need more hope, more joy, more love? And we're going to steer our families. And there's two sections in this little book here. There's the, there's the I, I call it the, 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 the family with littles, okay? And I'll let you figure out what the littles is. That's when you get the storybook Bible. And if, you're, and if your teenagers go, the storybook Bible and they're and they're, and they're, and they're, you know, they make facial expressions that aren't, that aren't good. Don't get that. Don't, don't do the storybook Bible with them, okay? There's a version in there for the adult version and teenage version. Stick, stick to that section. There's two different sections. There's a family, kid, little version. There's another. And do it as a family. And today kicks off Advent, okay? Why? Because the gospel starts at Christmas. The redemptive story of Christ starts then. 
I actually started long before then, but it really, it really reaches a crescendo at this point in time whenever Christ comes and puts on flesh and he dwells among us and we, we get to celebrate that. And so this will take us all the way through the new year because if you come on January 1st, you'll be the only ones at the church, okay? We're not even going to be here. I'm not going to be here. So you come and you'll be the only ones here because on January 1st, we're saying families stay home and worship as a family. And we got all that in here. So hopefully your family will do that. But all of my, I'm saying all of this to point us to this fact, that the gospel impacts your family if you let it. Or you can build your marriage the way everyone else in the world is telling you to do it. Well, all the love songs are telling you to do it. The way the popular television programs are doing it. You can do it your way if you want to. And live with the results because here's what you're going to get. I guarantee you, if you take 10 songs, if you take 10 movies, if you, whatever, take 10 love books out there, they're going to tell you this. You need to be happy. You need to take care of you. And you are the most important person in the relationship. And if you're not happy, then you need to go find something because you deserve to be happy because it's all about you. And that's wrong. In fact, here's a life principle for you. You can jot it down if you want. A healthy home serves others. An unhealthy home serves self. An unhealthy and unbiblical home will be about me. What's in it for me? Why aren't you taking care of me? And, and it's all, it centers around me. And you become the, 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 the little tyrant in the family. And it becomes about you. Or it can be about the other. Whoever the other is in the story, the other becomes more important than the self. Take your Bibles again, Colossians chapter 3. And for some of you, as soon as I jump into this, I'm just kind of a, I'm kind of walking on eggshells when I do this because some of you, soon, for two words, first two words I'm going to read today, you're going to go, oh no, we're not going there, are we? Oh no, I'm not going to listen to this because Paul, he is an out of date individual and Mike doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. And he's reading from some first century chauvinistic and I don't have any, listen, you got to give me some time. Because what you're going to find is he's going to speak to four different people. He's going to speak to four different positions. He's going to speak to every single one of us. And every single one of us is called to the family. And every single one of us has a role in the family. And if we live out in four verses, we're going to see four instructions. And if we live out these four verses and these four instructions, we will have the blueprint for the home that God wants us to have. And so let's just jump in and read verse 18. Hopefully you stick around. Uh, here it is, first two words, wives submit. Nobody left yet. All right. To your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, going to talk to you for a second here. Love your wives. And do not be harsh with them. Children, let's talk to the teenagers, the preteens in the room. Children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. Okay? Let's talk to the dads again. I'm going to broaden it to the parents, but Paul just gets right at the dad's grill and he just says this. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Lest they become discouraged. 
That's it. Four instructions. Simple sentences. Doesn't need a lot of explanation, right? Needs a ton of explanation. Because here's what happens. Is we start, I don't understand it. Well, what about this situation? You don't understand my situation. And that person's this, here, here, we can't miss this. A gospel-impacted family. It's different than the family that you see on television. A gospel-impacted family, it's about the heart and not the hierarchy. It's about the heart and not the hierarchy. It's not about, hey, you got to do this because the Bible says this. It's not because the whipping boy, whipping stick for the, for the, the father in the home and, and for the husband in the home and for the wife in the home. No, 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 not that at all. It's about the heart. It's about my heart being what it ought to be in the role and position that God has put me in. And I need to be that and I need to do it well. And it's not about me making my woman do what she's supposed to do. No, in fact, every time it says that, you notice what he's talking to. He's talking to the person in the position that's carrying the title, wife, husband, children. He's not talking to, hey, husbands, make your wife submit to you. Say wives. See, it's about the heart, not the hierarchy, but the world will make it about the hierarchy to the exclusion of the heart. Let's talk about four realities that this brings to us today because it's big. Wives, first of all, I want to talk to you. Because what Paul does, willingly follow the leadership of your husbands. Willingly. Women, guess what? You get to lead. You want to be the leader? Here's the lead. You lead by you being willing to follow. You choosing to take a posture and a position of saying, Honey, I want you. I want you to lead. I want you to set the course. I want you to set the pace. I'm going to pray for you every single day. I'm going to love on you and I'm going to give my best to you because I'm going to believe in you. And I say, Mike, you are smoking something and you don't even make it sense. This is not reality. If the gospel has impacted our families, it is a reality. If the gospel hasn't impacted our hearts and individuals, it's not a reality. It's the reality because what happens is what, be, what is unnatural becomes natural and becomes almost supernatural inside of us. Where the wife is able to say, you know what, I believe. And I want to talk, I want, I want to do something here. I want to give you about 11, 12, I don't know how many. I want to give you some, so we're talking about the family, we're talking about pictures of the family and portraits of the family. And you know when you go to the, the photographer and they say, okay, now I want you to lean over and do your hands like this and cock your head and look natural? You know, that's what it's going to feel like, okay? But now we don't go to the photographer and do that. Now we get out our phones and we do a selfie and you, you kind of get the selfie like that and everyone's head gets in there. And you know you don't do the selfie down like that because it gives you a double chin. So you do, you do a selfie. Uh, there's certain rules, and there's certain ways that you learn how to be uh, uh, poses, if you will. Because the poses show how our family is. So here's some poses. So wives, let me talk to you. Enjoy the security and the serenity of this position. And the position is of letting your husband lead. 
encouraging his leadership, affirming his leadership. Because here's what's going to happen. God's going to hold your husband accountable for this. You look in God's perfect world and God's perfect design and God's perfect garden. He puts a man and he puts a woman in there. And what happens is Eve is the first one to take from the fruit. But who does God hold accountable? He goes, first of all, to the man. You read Genesis chapter 3 for yourself. He goes to the man. It's really believed that the man was actually there whenever Satan was tempting Eve, but maybe the man didn't step into a leadership role and say, hey, this is not good for my family. Hey, get out of here, you you sorry snake. Get out of here. No, no, no. The woman succumbed, but what was the problem? Was the man not leading? Well, again, I, you can interpret silence too much, so I don't want to go, go there. Ladies, enjoy the security and the serenity of the position of letting your husband lead. And also know this, know this. Know where your value lies. And it's not in a title. I'm a wife, so I got to submit. No, no, no. It's not your value, your place in this world and society. You, you, you're not like, okay, he's the first and I'm the second. And so therefore I'm always a, a subhuman to the man. No, no, not at all. In fact, that is not gospel at all. In fact, if anything, the gospel levelizes it and brings everything down to level playing field. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, jot it down, said there's a neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, for you are one in Christ Jesus. So it's not like the man's over the woman, better than the woman, superior than the woman. No, 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 no. That's just the position. So don't confuse position with value. You're as valuable as the man. The man just has a role to play that God gave him. And so let me speak to the men in this portrait that seems a little unnatural, but that is actually natural according to God's design. Men, lead by example. Lead by example. Notice this in this passage. He said, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord The husband should never, ever, 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 ever ask the wife to do any, 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 anything whatsoever that he, they, together have not sought God on. He should never ask his wife to step outside the will of God and to move from this place to that place and to move their family from here to there that they have not first spent time on their knees together as is fitting in the Lord. Obey the Lord. First, that's what Acts chapter 5 talks about. Obey God rather than man. So God is not saying submit to your wife outside of God's will. You work together on that. Number four, just a portrait here. Be the pace setter in the home. Amen. Be the pace setter. I did something with my two boys. uh, And you don't have to go to this extreme, but we just did. We just made it financial part of our family and other family members contributed and we just were able to do this is I took my two boys when they turned 16 I took them to Australia to what's called fathering adventures and I spent time with them and we did adventures together and it was with fathers together and it was with their sons together and we just poured into each other and in that time together we established 
the McDaniel definition for what it means to be a man. And I knighted both of my boys into manhood on this definition. And to this day, if you were to ask my two boys, my two young men, what is the definition of a man? They're going to get it pretty close, if not spot on. And that is to reject passivity, to accept responsibility, to lead courageously, and to anticipate the greater reward. In this day and age of gender identity, in this day and age where we're meshing and meshing our values and we don't really have a clear direction and pathway for men and women and men and women together and everything is just this convoluted mess, I wanted my boys to grow up and leave our home with a clear definition of what it meant to be a man. And the very first thing it meant to be a man is to reject passivity. And I'm not talking being the aggressor in the home. I'm just talking about not being the lazy in the home. Not being the uncommitted in the home. Not being the servant in the home. Reject passivity, accept your responsibility, lead courageously, and anticipate that God's got the plan. You need to follow it. Let's talk to the husbands for a moment. Because that's exactly what he does. Paul goes from talking to the wives to talking to the husbands. Sacrificially love your wife. Sacrificially. Paul, you know, some women hate Paul because they see Paul as some chauvinistic pig. If they only knew the depths of which Paul was talking about loving your wives, you'd say, I want to marry Paul. Because what Paul does is he brings value to the marriage that was not there in the Roman Greco culture. Women were considered a piece of property, a piece of meat, a piece of somebody who would come into the home and would serve and provide babies, and, and that, that, that was their role. And, and, and it was a transaction between he and the, and, and the in-laws, if you will. That was, that was the transaction that took place. No, no, no. In this situation, Paul says, no, I want you to love your wives. Love your wives. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Paul takes us in the, tw- in the first century to a, a better standard of living. In fact, if that wasn't good enough for you, go to Ephesians in your own time and read Ephesians 5.25 because he makes it very clear what, how a husband is to love a wife. And he, and it's the same time, right in the same t- period of time, Ephesians and, 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 and Colossians is being written. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Love your wife the way that Jesus loved the church. Man, you talk about a gold standard now. You talk about a sacrificing standard. You talk about putting it on the line. Peter goes on to say in 1 Peter, 4, uh, 1 Peter uh, 3, 7, he says, men, husbands, dwell with your wives. Now, this is a very important one. Dwell with your wives in an understanding manner. And I'm like, man, they change their combinations every single day. It's like a vault trying to get in to Lori sometimes. She changed her combination today. So what I've got to do is I've got to figure out the combination today. I've got to live with her in an understanding manner. 
And so I figure out the combination today and then tomorrow she'll change it again. But that's okay because I love her and I'm not only going to live with her in an understanding manner. It goes on to say, live with her and honor her because she's so valuable to me. I will go through whatever hoop it takes to love her well and to love her sacrificially so that she will never ever doubt that I love her, which brings bring me to the portrait thing here. Poses of the marriage. Husbands, let me talk to you. Never let your wife wonder if you love her second. She needs to know that you love her second. Okay? What's that? What do you love first? The boat? The vacation? What is it that you love? No. You love the Lord. You love the Lord more than you love your wife. And when you love your the Lord more than you love your wife, you'll find out that you love your wife better. In fact, when you love your, the Lord more than you love your wife, you will have a higher stretch, a higher goal, a higher standard for loving your wife than you ever would if you loved your wife first. But whenever I love the Lord, then I have a standard of which what love is supposed to look like. Love never fails. Love doesn't hold record of wrong. Love, love, love is, is patient. Love is kind. Love is gentle. See, the gospel begins to infuse my life whenever I love like that. And whenever I love my wife with a, with a way that is kind and generous and gracious and loving and patient, then my land, she's going to love me. I become the leader when I become the leader of love in the home. Which then leads me to the sixth portrait here that I don't want you to miss. Is love is a verb. That means action. It means you show it. You don't just say it. It's not something you just say. It's a present active imperative to be exact where he tells us you have got to love your wives. Wives, let me talk to you. I know it's a portrait to the men. It's talking to the men here. But there's something, I, just like I said to the men earlier, I, I, under you, I want to say something to you. This is really important. Never let your husband wonder if you respect him. Respect him. Think, what's that word? I don't like that word. That word doesn't demean you. It doesn't change your position. It just elevates him. It just shows honor to him. It just says, I value you. Whenever he doesn't clean the house like you want, when he doesn't clean the toilet like you clean it, whenever he doesn't wash the whatever like you wash it, and he doesn't, just say thank you. Thank you. An abundant appreciation. Hey, and if it's work, and I know there's some dads who stay home and some moms who work outside the home, and I know there's there's... There's some who work outside the home and they both work outside the home. And I, and I know there's different dynamics, but here's, here, here's the thing. It's if, if, if in my relationship, if it's my goal to serve you and it's her goal to serve me, then we're just trying to outserve one another. But what she does when she respects me, she brings value to me. In a world that is beating down men, that is beating down what it means to be a man, does not have a lot of great role models out there. So when he's trying, say thank you. Say, where do you get this, Mike? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. Wives must see to it that she respects her husband. 
high value, sincere appreciation, unparalleled devotion to that man in your life. Let me talk to the children. It's a whole family unit, you notice. The gospel affects everyone. Humbly listen and obey your parents. I know your parents are as out of date as the crust of the earth. They are so old and they don't know what you know and they're not as hip as you are. But please realize that they have been put there by God for a role. And it's just for a short season. I know it seems like forever, but it's for a very short window. And then they want you to move out as much as you want to move out. I promise you. They want the raise. When you move out, they get more money. Children, it says, obey your parents in everything. Let me talk to the children. Portraits. Here's two of them. Number eight, don't repeat your parents' stupidity. Okay? The reason they say don't do that is because they did it and it hurt. They did it and it cost them. They did it and they regret it. They did it and they still feel the shame from it. You can learn so much from your parents. Your parents, listen, are your best unpolluted advisors that you can get in your life. I'm not saying that every time they give counsel, it's wise counsel, but it's the best they got. Take it. Measure it up against Scripture. When your gospel-infused family, when your gospel's been impacting your home, then listen, they're becoming more and more like Christ. You're becoming more and more like Christ. You can lean more and more on them. Number nine, don't view your parents as your enemies. Now, I know that they're going to say things. They're going to say you can't do things. and They're going to put guidelines and guardrails. It is only for your protection. And here's one of the things that I, that I, when, when, when I was given those hard kind of conversation instructions with our kids, and again, we got two launched, and we got one at home, and he's about to launch, and so again, we're, we're celebrating that for a lot of reasons, but uh, selfish and otherwise, but uh, you know, we're, we're, we see them launch, but I can remember having those hard conversations with them. And those hard conversations go like, well, you're just not fair and you don't understand and so-and-so's parents get to do it this way and why can't they? And I go, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I love you more than, I promise you, more than he loves you, more than she says she loves you. I love you and I will give my life for you. Kids, listen, your parents do love you more than anybody else on this planet. As imperfect as they are, obey them in everything. Let me talk to the parents. Number four, parents, gently guide your children. Gently. Now, he, I know he says to the father, so ladies, I know wives, you might think I'm scot-free here. I'm going to pull you out and I'm going to put you in the parenting category here. Fathers or parents, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. I, 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 want, I want to say a couple things, a couple portraits again for the parent. You know, we aren't perfect 
So admit it. We aren't perfect. We're not always right. So admit it. And when I say admit it, I don't mean admit it like this. You know, I'm sorry, but if you will just do this next time, I won't lose my cool. That's not how it works. Go into it and be humble. I'm not right. I'm not always right. I may even be wrong in this situation. But you got to go with me. We're going to do this together. And then, number 11, and I'm done, is model for your next generation's moms and dads what life and faith is supposed to be. When your kids are kids, they hear what you say, but they watch what you do. When they're littles, they're going to follow the guidelines because you say, do this, they do this. But when they become teenagers, I don't know if you notice this, there's this deafness that comes over them, and they can't hear as well, but their eyesight is bionic. And, they, and their memory, though it's maybe a little tainted, their memory to go back and to pull things out of the past is incredible. Well, you said this and you did this. You got to admit it, they were right. We've got to model. And I know, and I felt this in this, this service as I'm filling it in the first service. And I'm going to call an audible, guys, again. Because I know there's some in this room right now that go, Mike, we did all that. We did all that. And our kids. We don't, we don't know what to do. Our marriage. It's not what, what we thought it was going to be. I want to pray for you. And this is the audible. I want to pray for you because I realize that there's a heaviness in this room of discouragement, of disillusionment. How do I get out of this mess? Or how do I make it better? Or how can I help a person who doesn't even want to listen to me anymore listen to me again and hear my heart? And how do I win my kids back? Because instead of breaking their will, I broke their spirit. And there's a whole message on that. You break your kids' wills when they're rebellious, but you don't break their spirits. And sometimes as parents, we lean in a little heavy and a little hard, and we end up breaking spirits and not wills. And there's a difference. And you think, my kids don't listen to me anymore? And I want them to come to me. I can tell you right now, having two out of the house, launching well. We don't have a magic formula. We've just tried to follow the blueprint as best we can. But I want to pray for the families in this room right now that are hurting. Would you bow your heads with me? I don't know who you are and I don't need to know who you are. I had several people text me since the last service already had several people approach me in the lobby in the gallery area and just say, I needed that. I needed the prayer. I needed the message. I needed that. 
We needed that. Father, you know every home here. And you know, you know what's right and what's wrong. And you know who's right and you know who's wrong. And, and Lord, it's not about keeping score and it's not about who's done this and who's done that. It's about the gospel penetrating my heart and penetrating my family's heart to where there's humility and there's meekness and there's patience and there's a heart of compassion and there's kindness. And I pray for our homes here. I pray for the marriages here that are hurting. I pray for the singles in this room who are going right now, this doesn't apply to me, this doesn't mean, Lord, help them to see this means more to them today than it will 10 years from now because they're going to set a standard. They're going to marry somebody someday that will, I pray, live to this standard that the gospel is in them and they'll not settle for anybody. And they'll not just be anybody. They will be the gospel as much as they look for somebody with the gospel in them. Lord, would you give us hope and direction? Would you restore our homes? Would you give our men identity? Would you help our women to know they're loved? Would you help our children to see the value of mom and dad in their life? In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. I planned on ending the message a totally different way. I want to end with four things that Lori and I have tried to do in our home. Four things that we still do to this day. We try to process as a family. And what that processing means, when I say process life together, it means it may mean talk about it with our with the kids are little, you do it differently than when your kids are bigger. But we talk about life, we make decisions about life, and we try to integrate, you know, this is what the culture's saying, and this is what the Bible's saying, and this is what do you what do you hear God saying? And what do you and so I we try to talk and that happens when you have conversations and if you're constantly looking at pixels on a screen or you constantly have these things out in the home or you can't even go to a restaurant that you don't get these crazy things out you know what we've got to we've got to learn to look at each other and process with each other serve as a family this sunday I got my daughter up here on the stage singing on the stage. I got I got my son teaching over in Kid Nation. And I, I got my, my, my son-in-law, glad to have him. Man, we got a golden one there. Uh, and he's on Wednesday night up here uh, uh, working with the, with the teenagers. Serve as a family. Serve as a family together. Find those places in your church and serve in your church. Worship as a family. This is a great place to start in your own home. And I will say this, give as a family. Have that conversation as a family. You're going to say, what are we going to give? How are we going to give? What is the priority? 
I am thankful to God that my single mother taught me tithing as a child. And that I passed that on to my kids. And I'm thankful to God that her, Lori's parents taught her as a child what it meant to be generous with the resources that God gave us. And we have no regrets of anything we've ever given because God has always given back to us. You know, we talk about this, and I want to kind of close with this today. We, we have this Christmas offering that comes up, and it comes up. This will be our, I don't know, sixth, seventh year that we've done it. Uh, a Christmas offering, and uh, last year we did wells in Mozambique. And I would just say, we talked about that a, lot, a little bit last week, but I want to show you some photos. Uh, 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 see that, that stagnant pool of water that this one village used to drink out of? And literally, if you were able to zoom in on that photo, you would see little bugs swimming in the water uh, that they would literally dip their, their buckets in, not, not boiling the water, but take it back and drink and bathe from that water. Now, they did get a little wiser and they went over in that middle one. You see muddy water in it. That's the clean water of that village, okay? That's where they're drinking until we, in the top right, you see just about 25 feet away from their hole where we put a well in because you guys last year gave and put a well in that village. Now, you don't even know who they are, and I don't even remember any of their names, but here's what happened in that village that day. We went to that village, and the imam, the Islamic teacher of the village, who's the mayor of the village, called everyone in the village together, set us all down. Women were sitting over here. Men were sitting right here. And he said, now listen to these people. And Matthew Martin stood up and preached the gospel in that village and told them about Jesus. Incredible things happened. Thank you for your generosity. Our kids were able to be a part of that. Yes. Give this church a hand. This year, let me say this. This has been a long time over, 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 overdue. And that is this, is that um, we're going to help the Syrian refugees. There, there are so many. There, there's a... It is a nat- national, global, epidemic disaster. 40, 4.9 million refugees have been produced from one country. Over half the country has either been killed or displaced. Now, when you're a refugee, you're not an immigrant. Immigration happens because you want to leave the country. Refugees happen because you're forced out of the country to save your life. And over half of those are children. And this has probably been a long time overdue, so to some degree I'm repenting of it, but God just put it on my heart this, this past year. And so this year, this Christmas offering, what we're going to do is there's this, how do you target, how do you help 4.9 million of them? You just eat, like eating an elephant, one bite at a time. So we have zeroed in because of the Baptist Global Response. We're partnering with them. And there's this one refugee area, Athens, Greece, where there's 50,000 refugees living in a tented community. Now, just imagine that. That's the city of Bentonville living in tents. 50,000 people. What we're going to do is I pray to God that we will be able to to give enough money this year that we're going to buy survival kits for 2,800 of the 50,000 people that live there. Still, just another little small drop. But 2,800. 
hundred survival kits. So we're not even talking about buying plasma televisions and cars for these refugees that have, have been displaced. We're talking about buying, here's what's on the list, a blanket, a hygiene kit, shoes, and a pair of clothes for an individual. I hope that this year's Christmas offer, I hope as a family, you will sit down with your family and you will take time and you will pray over what is our family going to do to help some unknowns, but that God knows very, very, very well. I want you to watch this video in conclusion. Syria alone, population of about 22, 23 million people, around half of them have either been displaced or killed. We need to know how the Bible informs the way we view crises like this in the world. God is sovereign over nature. He's sovereign over nations. He's sovereign over even suffering in this world. He made from one nation, one man from every nation of mankind living on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Make no mistake, God aims to be sought, found, and known, and enjoyed by all the peoples of the world. And he oversees their travels toward that end. In his goodness, God turns even the tragedy of forced migration into the triumph of future salvation. Do we realize the unprecedented opportunities that exist right now for Syrians to hear the gospel because of this refugee crisis. We go, we meet their needs, and we share the greatest news in all the world with them. We dare not sit back and spend all our time debating whether or not a few of them can come to us. Church of Jesus Christ, it's time for a lot of us to go to them.